All right, welcome back everyone to another episode of Time Out Talk. We're your hosts, Raphael Singer. And Hunter Leon. And we're in the midst of the conference finals, about to have potentially two sweeps in the conference finals, which has never happened in NBA history. This would be the first time. Um, but there's some pretty big storylines here, and we're on the precipice of a Nuggets Heat finals, which I don't think anybody expected coming into this season. Um, so yeah, I guess what we should first start is talking about how we got here. Uh, because when we ended last episode, uh, it was right before the Celtics Sixers game seven. So I guess let's start there. So this is a very anticipated game seven. I think me and you predicted, um, separately. I think you had the Sixers, <laughs> I did, <laughs> and I, I had the Celtics. Um, because I was talking, we were talking about how you know, Doc Rivers, it's hard to really trust him in these uh, crutch scenarios um and the Celtics ended up dominating this one Tatum made history surpassing Steph for the most points in a game seven with 51 and Bede uh had only 15 points shot five for 18 from the field Harden didn't even crack double digits had nine seven and six three for 11 from the field and the Sixers really just kind of went out sad if I'm being entirely honest um so i guess let's start there like hunter what did you see in that game what did you see from the mvp um were you let down by the sixers i mean just just tell me about what you saw that game i mean absolutely it just looked like a team that had no real fight in them they kind of it was surprising in the game seven you expect to bring the most energy it kind of seemed like of all the games they brought the least energy to their game seven yeah um and you know you can't only blame that on the coach but you know, that's mainly like a player thing, energy. Mm-hmm. A coach is supposed to hype up the players, get them ready. And clearly Doc Rivers is not the guy to do that in the game seven for his entire career. He has not been that guy to do that in the game seven. Um, but still, that's still on the players to to provide the energy, to hustle. I mean, and the thing is, I really do blame this on Joel Embiid and James Harden. Like mm-hmm. you can expect one of them sure to maybe have a bad night, even in a game seven, you know, it just sometimes happens. Meaning James Harden, you would be expect the one to have a bad night. But it is unacceptable for the MV- MVP to shoot twenty seven percent from the field and have fifteen points in an elimination game yeah. leading up to the what the Eastern Conference Finals. Like that's just inexcusable. I don't care what kind of injury he has or what he's dealing with. That's just ridiculous. Yeah, no, I entirely agree. For the MVP of the league to not even be the top scorer on your team in a critical game seven to make the conference finals. I think at this point, it's just very indicative of who Joel Embiid is as a player. He's a fantastic regular season player, but I think he's consistently underwhelming in the postseason. I mean, this is not the first year he's disappointed and has not delivered the same kind of caliber of performances that we've seen from him in the regular season. It just seems like, but you look at every single metric, you know, points, assists, rebounds, blocks, and just from the eye test, it's not the same player when it beats in the playoffs versus the regular season. So I think we just have to start accepting that this is who Joel Embiid is. Like, yes, he's a terrific uh, regular season performer, but he just doesn't kind of have that gene in him to sort of dominate the playoffs and, and make it far. And Harden, I mean, we've kind of expected this. Like, he's been extremely hit or miss this series. Like, he's either dropping 42 and winning the game, or he's going to be completely absent. And unfortunately for the Sixers, we got the latter. 
um, in that game seven. But honestly, I think people are going to scapegoat here. Obviously, Doc River already got fired, which we could talk about. Um, but I think this really falls on Joel Embiid. This is, in my opinion, his best chance to make it to the NBA Finals. Um, and he squandered that away. I think it's just, frankly, inexcusable. And, you know, we gave a lot of flack to superstars for underperforming, like Giannis losing to an A-seed, which with how the Heat is playing seems a little bit more, you know, understandable. But I don't think people are talking about enough how Embiid underperformed for a reigning MVP to do this, especially when you look on the other conference, right, and you have Nikola Jokic putting up historic numbers and dominating the competition. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just we we. I don't want to rag on Embiid too much, just because. Why you know, not? He's the MVP of the league, so he oh, should no, face I, the most scrutiny. Oh, I agree, but like, I just don't think we need to like carry on the conversation where I think we're just going to go back and forth and be like, oh yeah, Joel Embiid is okay, really fair. sucking. Yeah, he's really sucking. You know, sure. I don't want to bat on any players too much like that. But I think we've gotten the point across as far as. This goes, which is why I think we should start talking a little bit more about the Doc Rivers firing, mm-hmm. who I'm more than happy to just talk about sucking. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think we had this conversation earlier in previous pods. We said, hey, you know, if this season ends up in failure, like if they don't win the ring, Doc Rivers is fired. And yep. very clear that that was the case. I do not think Doc Rivers will find another head coaching job in the NBA. I, I think agree. he's done. I think he's an extremely overrated coach. I mm-hmm. think that, you know, that ring he won with the Celtics in 2008 really sort of elevated him into another echelon that I don't think he really belongs. I mean, he was on the NBA's list of top 15 greatest coaches of all time. And frankly, I don't think he deserves to be on that list. I mean, you just look at how many leads he's blown, how much talent he's had to work with, um, and just how that's sort of all gone awry, right? He had the Lob City Clippers. He had Kawhi PG Clippers. He's had, obviously, that Boston Celtics team that was really good, only winning one ring. This Philadelphia 76ers team, never even scratching the conference finals. So I fully agree with you here, Hunter. I think that Mm -hmm. Doc Rivers does not deserve to to be a head coach in this league, especially when there are so many competent head coaches right now that – don't have a job right like nick nurse doesn't have a job um, frank vogel frank vogel doesn't have a job uh, there's definitely a couple more uh head coaches that just recently got fired um that i'm blanking on but the the point is is that there's a plethora of coaches out there so if you're a team that you know just fired their head coach doc rivers is not the guy to get I mean, nate mcmillan another name yep definitely like that's a very, very competent head coach. And even if you want to take a gamble on a guy like an assistant coach, we saw how successful that can be. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, definitely uh, agreed with this firing. And I just hope that the Sixers can get a guy who can really elevate his the, the team around him and, and really bring the best out of his guys. You know, like I, I think a guy like Nick Nurse would fit perfectly on this team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we can move on though, talking about this next Celtics series after they beat up on the Celtics or after they beat up on the Sixers in game seven. Uh, they have been getting beaten up it, by Miami. You know, we've talked about this, how we're going to see a potential historic uh, two sweeps in the conference finals between Miami and Denver. And I feel like we can just 
talk about this in general, but I want to give a quick overview. I'd say the first two games in Boston, fairly close dog fights. Yeah. Miami came back in game two, stormed all the way back from down nine, I believe, uh, mm-hmm. fueled by Jimmy Butler in a, a like something like a crazy like a nineteen to two run to end the quarter. Um, so just a very hard fought basketball game. Celtics kind of just let that one go. Mm-hmm. Game one was kind of similar. But game three is a very different story. Game three is a was an absolute smackdown, a thirty point blowout the entire game, and the box score doesn't nearly reflect how bad they got beaten. Yeah. So, uh, what are your thoughts on this series uh, as a whole? And then I think we can get into like the more nitty gritty stuff. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think that this is sort of uh, emblematic of the problems that the the Celtics really have. I think that. You know, their coaching was always suspect. There just hasn't been a team to really push them uh, to really expose those flaws. I think that, you know, Tatum and Brown, like we saw it even in the finals last year, like they can kind of go missing in big moments, especially in crunch time. And I think that especially in games one and two, this has been especially, uh, especially true, right? Game two. Tatum and Brown didn't make a single field goal in the fourth quarter. We just saw their offense completely stall out. And as you said, uh, Jimmy Butler just took that game over and the Miami Heat ran away with that one. That's a game that Boston should have won. I think that if Boston wins that, you know, you're going 1-1 into Miami. We're looking at a completely different series here, right? But Tatum and Brown, I'm going to put a lot of blame on them. These are two all-NBA guys, right? But they're just not stepping up when it matters most. They're game three, even they're combining one for 12 from deep. That's unacceptable from two supposedly superstar players. I think that, uh, I mean, Jalen Brown in general has been shooting two for 17 from deep in the series. So I lay a lot of the blame for the Celtics on the Jays. I mean, they're the sort of spearhead of this team. Everything sort of lives and dies with them at the end of the day. Um, and so they just haven't been performing. But you really do have to credit the Miami Heat, right? They have been stepping up big time. Um, I know you want to talk about some of the role players that have really been stepping up, but it's all sort of fueled by Jimmy Butler and his just excellence on both ends of the floor. Oh, absolutely. I definitely give more credit to this Miami Heat team than I do to the Celtics just not playing well. I think that, yeah, the Celtics haven't been hitting shots, but even if they were hitting a quarter or half of these shots that they've been missing, I think the Miami Heat would still be winning some of these games. Uh, so, look, Al Horford's also another guy who's had shooting struggles. I mean, Jalen Brown, two for 17, like you said. Al Horford is shooting 23% from three and 29% for the entire postseason. Um, like, just guys who usually are consistent for them have been very inconsistent. So, uh, that's really tough. And, you know, part of the postseason is being hot at the right time. And the Celtics clearly kind of got cold at the wrong time. Um, but talking more about Miami, let's talk about Caleb Martin. He had 25 points in game two, just incredible performance, just great effort. Like as a six man off the bench for them, great energy, 68% from the field in that game. And I mean, like Duncan Robinson, we've been talking about him being really great, but he's shooting over 50% from deep on five attempts a game. That's pretty mm-hmm. damn incredible. Uh, Gabe Vincent, another guy, averaging 18 points a game, 
really stepped in that starting lineup well, shooting 55% from deep. I think just like this entire Miami team has been so red hot from three. And this yeah. entire Celtics team has gotten pretty cold. So there's a stark difference there. And Jimmy Butler summed it up really well uh, in one of his post, uh, post-game pressers. I think it was in, after game two. Uh, they were asking, like, what schemes are they running to get their guys so open? Like, how is this working? And he was basically just saying, this sounds really simple, but all we're doing is moving without the ball. The mm-hmm. plan is pass and move. Yeah, That's literally the plan. And you can see it in action, constantly moving, constantly moving. We talk about teams having movement, like teams like the Warriors. And the, yeah, the Warriors are constantly moving and running actions. It, but I feel like the way that Miami is doing it, it's just pure, simple basketball, and it's working so well because really, just get the ball, move. You're going to find an open man, an open shooter, an open cut. Something is going to – you're going to find something. And, and you it's really, just been working. You have to credit Pat Riley and you have to credit Eric Spolstra for creating this heat culture where it's just unselfish basketball, right? It's this next man up mentality that we keep harboring on about, but it's so important because guys – they're just looking for the best shot on the offensive end of the floor, right? They're not looking to get their numbers up. You know, they're just looking for their shooters and everyone is just hitting their shots. I think, you know, one thing that you can say definitively about this Miami Heat team is I think they give the most effort out of any team in the association, right? Every single loose ball, every 50-50 play, right? They're hustling. They're, you know, putting in the effort. And that's resulting in a lot of second chance points, a lot of extra chances at scoring. And conversely, uh, Boston just looks like a team that's given up, especially in this game three. They just had no energy. They came out lifeless for most of this game, just going through the motions, settling for bad shots. And Miami just capitalized, right? And basically finished that game in three quarters where Joe Missoula had to take his starters out. And I want to talk a little bit about Joe Missoula because he even said today, like, yeah, I've lost the locker room. And for a coach to come out and admit that is honestly, like, insane. Like, to say that you've lost the locker room in a playoff series that's still ongoing is is pretty insane to me. But I think that a lot of the blame for the Celtics really lays on him. Because how have they not made the necessary adjustments to contain Jimmy Butler, right? They've tried a lot of things, but nothing has really worked. Uh, you look at when Ime Udoka was coaching that was a team that made this the right switches at the right times and that's what got them to the finals right and then Yume Yudoka was also a guy who inspired a lot out of his players he got a lot out of them right he was a guy who could ask Jason Tatum yo you need to get us like some big buckets down the stretch here and Tatum would do it I'm not saying that that's like a direct correlation but Yume Yudoka clearly understood his team a lot more uh, and Joe Mazzulla, in my opinion, has been extremely underwhelming. I think that he really doesn't know what he's doing. And honestly, I think he's going to be fired after this season. I, I think mm-hmm. that, you know, we, we talk a lot about first-year head coaches being fired or them not giving a, a, given a serious chance. But I think for this Celtics team, the fit just really isn't there. I don't know, man. I, I think I disagree. Not okay. uh, necessarily about some of the stuff you said, but like the thing with like, oh, they can't really contain Jimmy Butler or whatever. What Jimmy Butler is doing is ridiculous. The only other player to have ever done what Jimmy Butler is doing in the postseason, meaning 35 points a game, five rebounds, five assists, two steals on 55% shooting. Michael Jordan's the only other player to do that. 
That's pretty crazy. But Michael Jordan's the only other player to do that. And I don't attribute that to a lack of of adjustments from Boston because you then you could say the same thing about Mike Budenholzer not doing the same thing. They've already played Miami multiple times. They've won against Miami. They lost against Miami. Yeah, Mike Budenholzer got fired, but we both agreed that he probably shouldn't have been fired. And then okay. he did the same thing to uh oh my god, who did they play in the second round? Who did Miami play in the second round? In New York. Yeah, New York. That was a, a hard-fought series, but they couldn't make adjustments. There's nothing they could do to stop Jimmy Butler. No, but I think they definitely, like, I think that, you know, uh, I think that they definitely slowed him down. I think that, you know, you look at his efficiency in the, the Bucks series compared to the Knicks series, I think that, you know, Tom Thibodeau definitely made some adjustments to slow him down. And even, okay, even we'll say, look, Jimmy's a superstar, especially in the playoffs. He's going to get his buckets. Nothing really you can do about that. There's no reason why Miami as a team should be pretty much shooting above 50% from deep, right? I agree. Not, I agree with that. Everybody averaging above 50% from, from three. And that, I think, is a problem with Boston, right? That has to come down to your defensive schemes, your matchups, and your effort level. And I think a lot of that rest with the coach right well i agree i was gonna say i think since their game plan so simple pass and move the ball i think that does come back on the coach in the sense that pass and move the ball is not a hard system to guard per se it just means your players have to stick with their guys run get tired but keep fighting and i think joe missoula has done a good or, or he's done a bad job of inspiring his locker room correct that i will agree with you but i think to say that jimmy butler like wait i, I think that is unfair okay. I'll concede the Jimmy Butler point, but I think that as a whole, Joe Missoula is a is a big reason why this team is underperforming. Um, Ime Udoka is definitely a better coach than Joe Missoula has been, and this is a better Celtics team and a deeper Celtics team than it was last year with the additions of Malcolm Brogdon, um, mm-hmm. uh, Rob Williams getting healthy. Yeah, uh, like I think they've they've just overall they're a better team, but I don't know. I think this Miami Heat team has found something special. They're different than they were last year. And, and I think they just deserve it. And they've, they're trying more than any other team. Like They're just really putting their heart into it. And I think you could say for every other basketball team in the league, pretty much that they're not putting nearly as much heart as every single guy on that roster in Miami is. And I don't necessarily think that falls on any individual person in the Celtics like organization. I mean, I don't think we stress enough how incredible this heat run is. Like, they are playing seven undrafted guys, right? The three, like, you know, Duncan Robinson, Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, these guys are all undrafted, and they're getting serious minutes. They're a huge reason as to why uh, Miami has made it this far. They're missing, you know, a starter in Tyler Hero and a key bench player in Victor Oladipo and Jimmy Butler, right? How incredible is this? I don't think we've ever seen this in a player in NBA history where they go from being a good all-star player in the regular season to a superstar, arguably best player in the world in the playoffs. Like, how Mm -hmm. crazy is that? We've never seen that before. And the run that Miami is going on right now is genuinely so unprecedented. So, like, huge credit to Miami. They've just been stepping up big time and... I think that, you know, they definitely deserve a finals berth more than any other team in the East, for sure.
Oh, absolutely. There's no question that uh, Miami is like has had the most heart and deserves it the most. And I will say, I have been a big fan of this Miami Heat team since the beginning, but I definitely did not expect them to make it to the NBA Finals. So I'm very happy for them uh, um, overall. And I don't know. We'll see what, what happens with this Celtics team, the adjustments they make, right. uh, question marks around Jalen Brown. Like there, I think there's just a lot to unpack with that team, which we'll get into more in the offseason. This definitely but feels I think... like – I just want to say a couple things, mm-hmm. uh, just closing remarks on this series. Um, one, credit to us, because in our uh, pre-playoff prediction, we both had Miami beating Boston in the first round. Uh, that was assuming that – Miami would win their playing game. So we knew that this Miami team was team was capable of like doing some major damage this playoffs, but I don't think we ever could have suspected something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we both had that series going to seven and it's just so disappointing, frankly, from an NBA standpoint, how sort of sad the Celtics are going out, how they're just sort of keeling over and, and just dissipating away, not even fighting, you know, they're just, Game three was just a pathetic outing. Like, I, I, it's just so sad to see a team that was so competitive last year made the finals and gave Steph and company a run for their money um, just for them to go out like this. So I genuinely wouldn't be surprised if this team makes some major adjustments in the postseason or sorry, in the offseason. Like if Jalen Brown gets moved and the new coach is put in and they just sort of try retooling everything because – it would be one thing if they lost the series in six or seven games and it was a hard fought series, but Jimmy Butler and the rest of his team just wanted it more and just competed and made tougher shots. That's one thing, but for them to potentially get swept with them barely even putting up a fight games, three, four, etc. Embarrassing. That's, that's embarrassing. Yeah. And, and embarrassments lead to perhaps overreactions, but big changes nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a great place to close this series on. Uh, I guess we'll, we'll come back to the wrap up of the series. We'll see what actually happens. I think we I are question. both assuming Miami's going to sweep. Do you, okay, yeah, I was going to ask. Like, do you think Miami's sweeping this one? Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. we. Do you I agree. agree? I agree. Okay, yeah, so I think we both assume Miami's going to sweep this series, and I guess we'll talk about most likely the next podcast will be the at the start or the midpoint of the NBA finals, um, which is crazy to think about, but let's move on to this next series, which is also three uh, Oh right now. And that's Denver beating up on Los Angeles so far. Uh, you know, tough one for us to admit both as Laker fans. Yeah. I think we've been a little bit blinded by our, our fandom of <laughs> this Lakers team. Uh, but the nuggets have clearly been, a far superior team and let's just hop right into it what have you seen from this series and what have you seen from these nuggets to make them play so well against this lakers team well i just want to say a couple plays go a little bit differently and we're talking about an entirely different series i'm thinking about game one lakers are down two points with about 50 seconds left in the game lebron james who's had nothing but success attacking the basket for the entirety of the game Settles for a three-point shot. Misses. Denver gets it. Lakers have to foul. Game slips away. And Lakers go down 1-0 in the series. You know, the Lakers may run a different play there. LeBron attacks the rim, gets to the free throw line. Lakers steal game one on the road as they have the entire 
the of the postseason, we're talking about an entirely different series here. But that's the land of hypotheticals. We got to live in reality. So I guess what I've seen from this series is just Denver being the better team. We have to admit it here. Denver mm-hmm. is more well-rounded. They have, I would say, no flaws in their team, in their roster construction or their coaching. I want to give a lot of credit to Michael Malone. I think he's a, a super underrated coach. Not a lot of people talk about him, but he just has a the heart and the sort of spirit of a coach that I don't think a lot a lot of teams have. You know, he is a guy who's like yelling for his team every single huddle, like like really puts his heart and soul um, into every single game. And you look at some of the videos from like training camp or whatever. He's out there. He's running with his guys. Like he's even like participating in the drills. And it's really cool to see a coach like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad he's been able. He was given a chance by the Nuggets organization to sort of build up his system and build up a culture there, um, which we've talked about as being pretty rare nowadays. But Denver, I mean, man, you have to give them credit. Nikola Jokic is playing like the best player in the world right now. I would say that it's a very close race between him and Jimmy Butler, but Nikola Jokic has been so dominant uh, on the offensive end of the floor. Nearly everything runs through him, whether he's passing the ball, whether he's shooting it, um, you know, whether he's just creating plays out of nothing. It's it's been incredible to see. And Jamal, really, I honestly was gonna add, yeah, I think his his defense has also been very underrated. I mean, in in many ways, he's been competing with Anthony Davis on the glass, uh just like doing all the things like on the defensive end that you don't necessarily consider defense. Like his def- his defensive and offensive rebounding have both been great. Uh the box outs, um even tipping or blocking Anthony Davis's shots in many cases, mm-hmm. he's been a uh, above average defender in this series, which is very impressive when you're doing everything on offense. Right. And we like sort of coming into the series, one of the questions was like that AD Jokic matchup because people were suspect on Jokic's defense. And as you said, like he's been pretty good on that end of the floor, even blocking AD a couple times. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's averaging a triple-double in this series, 27-15-11, like, standard Jokic numbers. And so, like, I guess at this point, we're so desensitized to his greatness that we're like, okay, yeah, that's pretty typical for Jokic. But, you know, that's incredible for a center to be doing that. Um, and especially you compare it to Joel Embiid. I hate to keep bashing on him, but, like, look at what Joel Embiid is, has done these playoffs and compare that to Nikola Jokic. And then ask yourself which one of these guys really deserve the MVP. I have a question for you. I have a question. Uh, Yeah. This is a sidetrack, but do you think if Nikola Jokic had this exact same postseason, but last year and had won a ring that he would have gotten his third MVP this season? Oh, definitely. I think that we've, we've realized at this point that the MVP is a very narrative based award. I mean, we had a guy like um, Mark Jackson, not even have Nikola Jokic in his top five. So that's like, ridiculous. There's some voters who just like, I feel it go entirely based off their quote unquote gut feeling or narratives. And it's really not a fair process. I think that, you know, if I, okay, I'll say this. I think that Joel Embiid this season actually did deserve the MVP. I think he was the best regular season player, but I think that, people were writing off Nikola Jokic for the wrong reasons. The reasons were like, oh, you know, like, you know, he's not really warrant. We're deserving of a three-time MVP, yada, yada, yada. Who cares about the past? We're talking about a specific season here, right? 
Um, and so I think that that would impact the narrative significantly if he had won a ring. And I think also if Jokic wins a ring this year, we're going to have to seriously start talking about him in these all-time rankings because a two-time MVP, finals MVP, champion, you know, best nugget. Uh, he would have to be in the entry. same – I think he'd have to be the same tier as Dirk Nowitzki, like equivalent. Sure. Maybe even – Maybe honestly, even better. Maybe better. Maybe he's competing with Kevin Durant. I'm, I'm 100% serious here. Think about it. Two-time MVP, champ. We'll, okay, we'll cross that bridge if they win the final. Yeah, if they get there. Right. But, uh, let's talk more about some other guys in the Snuggets team who've really stepped up. I mean, Jamal Murray, ridiculous. He has yes. been the difference maker for them, uh, especially when Nikola Jokic has kind of gone absent in some of these games for short stretches. But he had 53 points in the, f- the fourth quarter of Game 2 in the, the first two quarters of Game 3. That That's just pretty freaking ridiculous and that's the most points in a three-quarter stretch since the 1998 playoffs so we're talking 25 years like that's just ridiculous nobody's done that in 25 and years. you know who probably did that in 1998 probably kobe or Shaq. jordan man 1998 oh 98 definitely is jordan what am i saying yeah <laughs> but it's just crazy jamal murray like one thing i'll say about him the level of difficulty on some of these shots is absurd like He'll be taking, you know, contested threes, double clutch jumpers in the mid-range, tough fadeaways. Like sometimes the Lakers are even playing great defense, but it's just better offense at the end of the day. So he's been just been having a, an incredible run. And it's really good to see for a guy who I feel like a lot of people counted out after that uh, bubble run. And yeah, think about know, this. He tore injury. his ACL. He had a or he had a massive injury and he's doing this post that. Yeah, I think it was his ACL. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's just incredible to see. Not not a lot of people are talking about him as sort of a comeback story. I remember in like one of the post-game pressers, Michael Malone was talking about how after he had that injury, he was almost crying on the team bus talking about how are, are the Nuggets going to trade him or, or waive him. And he was just worried about his future with this team. But, you know, Michael Malone believed in his guys. Um, and, and, and it really feels like this team feels like a family. You know, we we talk about that a lot sometimes but it really feels like these guys have a bond and i think that's tr- and a lot of chemistry there along with it and that's translating to their play on the court um mm-hmm. so big props to jamal murray like seriously he's been playing incredibly but also it's been just everyone else you know uh, obviously i think michael porter is the obvious third option on this team and he's been great mm-hmm. he's been shooting above like i think 50 percent from three um he's been playing incredibly uh just shooting the ball but i also want to give him credit for you know rebounding and playmaking you know this is a guy who we talk about who loves to shoot the ball almost a little too much to his team's detriment but (laughs) he's been a willing passer and making the right plays and i think that just showed a lot of maturity in his game so he's been playing great um kcp man former laker tough he's been playing great yeah he had a big stretch in game three where I think he scored like 10 or 11 points in a quarter, mm-hmm. uh, ended up with 17 points in the game and really kind of took the Lakers like lead and cut it down significantly. And that, that really made it a close game. And that's where the Lakers lost a game in that stretch where I think LeBron came out, KCP went on a run and Lakers were playing catch up the rest of the game. So that was incredible. Bruce Brown, another guy who's really been stepping up, averaging 14, 5, and 3. 
and playing some incredible defense on uh, yeah. the Laker guards. I mean, mm-hmm. just really, really fighting, um, putting his hands in the passing lanes, coming up with some steals. Just mm-hmm. g- great overall play from him. Yeah, no, really, he's been great. He's been he was great. really bothering D'Angelo Russell in this series, who I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later. But just give a lot of credit to this this Nuggets team. These guys played really well, shot the ball incredibly, and they definitely have deserved it far more than the Lakers have. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I think that they easily have been playing better basketball through and through this series. Um, and even like some of the guys we have mentioned, Jeff Green, Christian Brown. Also, I realize it's it's spelled Braun, but it's actually pronounced Brown. I don't oh, understand really? why. Yeah, so, isn't that funny? But yeah, you know they those guys they haven't been getting big minutes, but the time they have been on the floor has been productive and impactful towards winning basketball. Um, and it just seemed like everyone has really bought in to this system and to this um, and just to to this team. So. Honestly, I think this series has been more of the Nuggets playing well than the Lakers playing bad. They've just thoroughly outplayed them this series. No, oh, I agree because unlike the Celtics, the Lakers have fought in every single game and to put themselves in positions at in every single game, there was a point where they could have won the game if a few things had gone differently. And the Lakers just haven't been able to execute properly, which does ultimately fall on the players, but it's not like the Lakers have given up at any point in the series. They've been fighting in every single game, and the Nuggets have just bested them even with that. Yeah, and so this is just, in my opinion, the Nuggets deservedly winning three games in a row. Um, And Mm -hmm. honestly, all the credit should go to them. Um, And we shouldn't really be talking too much about the the Lakers as, like, you know, dropping this series or whatever. But... I want to I want to ask something because Michael Malone talked about this in a post game presser. Do you think that the media is too focused on the Lakers and not giving the Nuggets enough credit? Oh, absolutely. I think it's very easy to focus on the Lakers in this case because Lakers are the biggest market, the left in the postseason. That everyone's going to focus on the Lakers. Then the narratives are always about LeBron, his legacy. You know how much talk there's been about like. If LeBron wins his fifth ring, is he better than Jordan now? Like in these new GOAT debates or whatever, like that always happen, like all the BS. Um, it's just like everything, it makes it so easy to talk about the Lakers. I mean, when you turn on NBA media, when you turn on um, Undisputed, any of these shows, probably 50% of their talk is about the Lakers, which is ridiculous yeah. considering the entire NBA is 30 teams and 50% of their coverage is one team. So very much so, Nuggets are a small market, never been to the NBA Finals. They're not going to get the coverage that they deserve, especially also because to a lot of people, Nikola Jokic is a boring superstar. He makes the right plays. He's not flashy. He's slow. He's big. That's not the, the not the attributes of like a, a Jason Tatum, a LeBron James. Like, Why do you think Nikola Jokic doesn't have some massive shoe deal? He's a freaking two-time MVP. Where we you know where's his Nike deal? It's because yeah, he's exactly. not market. It's because he's not marketable, and yeah. the media knows that, so they're not going to focus on it as much. Yeah, I know you may raise some really great points about just like marketability and just narratives in general, and how the media sort of capitalizes on the bigger markets. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about is like there's been this ongoing discourse, uh, because we're on the precipice of a Nuggets Heat Finals about how oh this is going to be bad for ratings and. 
oh man, you missed out on a great storyline with the Lakers and the Celtics competing for the 18th banner. And it's like, dude, are you kidding me? If you're an NBA fan, you want to see the two-time MVP and the best team in the playoffs going up against the best playoff performer. The Heat and Nuggets is going to be the best basketball. And these are two teams that just play pure hoops. You know, they don't foul bait. They play the game the right way. And it's it's going to be an absolutely entertaining series if that's the series we end up seeing. Um, so I don't understand why people are so fixated on the ratings or the narratives. I think it's because the NBA is a very star-driven league. And so people are invested in the stars and in the narratives. That's that's really where people get a lot of their enjoyment from. I think there's a good major there's a good portion of NBA quote unquote fans that are just kind of in it for that. They don't really care about the basketball, the the nitty-gritty, you know, drawing up schemes, um, any any of the actual analytical details of the game. They're just in it for the narratives and for the storylines and to debate LeBron's legacy for the 20th time. Um <laughs> You mean twenty thousandth time? Yeah, pretty much. So, I think it's sad to see. Like, why? Why do you care about the NBA ratings, man? You're not a shareholder in the association. You're not an advertiser. So, why do you care? Just enjoy the game. And this is going to be the most entertaining series. So, yeah, man. I, I think that's just one thing that's been bothering me. I had to just get that off my chest. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. We're both at the same point. But I think that's a good pivot point to start talking about this Lakers team. And while I think we can both agree, credit to Denver, there's just still a lot of things we could look at this Lakers team and say, just head scratchers, right? Like D'Angelo Russell in the series, I was talking about how Bruce Brown logged him up, but he had plenty of open shots he could have hit. In yeah. Game one, eight points, four of 11 from the field, 0 for three from three. Game two, 10 points, three for eight from the field, one of five from three. In game three, Three points, one of eight from the field, one of six from three. And he's still getting starter minutes, starter rotations I by the end of the series. That. I don't understand oh, that. That was going to be my question for you. Why do you think Darvin Ham didn't make the necessary adjustments by game three, take D'Angelo Russell out of the starting lineup, maybe put in Dennis Schroeder, who had been playing very well in the series? Um, I have no walk idea. me through or walk me through your thoughts on this entire process. Yeah. If I had to guess, it's that, you know, Darvin Ham is a first-year head coach. D'Angelo Russell has been getting starter minutes ever since he's been on the team. He's been an integral piece of the team. And maybe he's a bit hesitant to have that tough conversation where you bring him into the locker room and you say, hey, look, you know, I know you've been a big piece of this team, but for this series, you know, we're going to have to go with some other guys. It's not been working out, right? But I think that maybe he was a little too hesitant to do that, but that's the right adjustment as you said d'angelo russell has been struggling immensely in this series not only on offense where he just can't hit the broad side of a barn but on defense too where he's not contributing anything to that end of the floor he's been lazy in transition he's not staying with his man and when he is on his man they're just getting right by him like he's not even there so i think that you know he needs to not touch the court uh, in this series in my opinion he's a bad matchup against the nuggets and when he's not hitting his shots, he's contributing nothing and, in fact, hurting this Laker team. Uh, especially when you have serviceable guys like Lonnie Walker or Dennis Schroeder who could be taking his minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's kind of It kind of bothers me a little bit. And that's that's a fair criticism of Darvin Ham because, you know, even look back to the previous coach, Frank Vogel. We look at the, say, 
um, series uh, in 2020, right? In the bubble, when the Lakers were going up against the Houston Rockets. JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard, who were very important pieces to that team, didn't touch the court at all in that series because this is the Houston Rockets that was running that small ball uh, lineup where P.J. Tucker was playing the five. And so Frank Vogel made the tough but necessary adjustment to not play those guys the entire series and then brought them back in the conference finals against Denver when they were needed. Um, and so I think it might just be kind of like mistakes you make as a as a first-year head coach, maybe as a guy who hasn't been in the spotlight before because Frank Vogel was a head coach before. Darvin Ham has never been a head coach. Um, but yeah, that's the only really explanation that I, I can think of. Yeah, I assume that is what happened as well. I read a report, I don't remember who it was from, it's either Shams or Woj, that said Darvin Ham is hesitant to um, have any discussions with D'Angelo Russell about being removed from the starting lineup. Um, so I agree, that's probably what happened. And I mean, that can't be the only reason the Lakers have lost these games. I think it's if just if that adjustment was made sooner, I think you could have had the question. Okay, it's a lot more likely the Lakers could have won some of these games, but it's not the difference maker for me. The difference maker was LeBron James in this series. LeBron in the entire series shot three of nineteen from three, and all of the threes he made were in Game Three of the series, where he only shot three for nine from three. So, to me, my biggest issue in the series so far has been LeBron James settling for shots taking the three like you said and in game one took the three instead of attacking the basket like he had been the entire series and look i understand you're lebron james you're in year 20 you have probably need surgery on your foot you can't go 100 percent all the time but what that means is if you can't go 100 percent, if you can't attack the basket don't shoot it pass it to anthony davis anthony freaking davis who can get you in a bucket at any time who is a top 10, 15 offensive talent in the league. I don't understand why you don't give him the ball. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And especially when LeBron has shown to be incredibly effective in this series. It's not like he's been bad this series. It's just he's been making incredibly poor decisions at the worst possible times. Which is a head-scratcher to me because LeBron James is known as the guy who always makes the right play. That's his whole thing, like the arguments and like the goat debate or whatever. It's like, Oh, LeBron always makes the right read. You know, he passes the ball when there's five seconds left in the shot to get the best, you know, look for three possible to win the game, but he hasn't been doing that. Yeah. It's just, I don't understand that. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense because, you know, as you said, when LeBron's attacking the basket or especially when LeBron has been playing in the post, I think that's when the Lakers been finding a lot of success in the offensive end of the floor. Cause LeBron, as you said, he's one of the most, the highest IQ players we've ever seen play this game. So when he's in the post, he sees the chess pieces moving and he'll make the right read every single time. He'll find a cutter, he'll find a spot of shooter, or he'll look to score out of the post. And that's been an incredibly successful tactic for the Lakers. But, you know, he'll just settle sometimes and just go for threes. I I think there was one play, uh, I believe it was in game three, where he just goes back-to-back possessions pull up three complete miss. Like what is he thinking? I've never seen LeBron act this way. It's very uncharacteristic of him. Um, And yeah, it has really been detrimental to this team because those are shots that, you know, some of the more competent three point shooters, like maybe Lonnie Walker or Austin Reeves could be taking or shots that Anthony Davis could be taking, as you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
uh, actually, speaking of Austin Reeves, I wanted to talk about him as one of the highlights of this series. Yeah. Um, game one, 23 points, eight assists, 50% from the field and 55% from three. Game two, 22 points, five assists, 50% from the field, 55% from three again. In the game three, 23 points, five assists, 70% from the field and 60% from three. I mean, just an incredible series from Austin Reeves, an incredible postseason run, soft or a sophomore in the league, you know, first big postseason run, Western Conference Finals against very clearly the best team in the Western Conference against good defenders, still putting up the most consistent numbers for this Laker team. Just I I want to compliment him and his play. And if any other player on this team was nearly as consistent as he was. I think we would have won one or two of these basketball games. Certainly. I mean, we got to give him his flowers. He's been stepping up tremendously in this series. One of the few bright spots for the Lakers that's just been showing up consistently. Um, You know, oftentimes when the Lakers offense stalls out, it just devolves. Austin just makes some tough shots from three. Um, You know, I think of that shot that he made in game two, that bank three to to keep it Mm -hmm. within two. That was a big time shot, and that gave the Lakers. It might have been game one, actually. That gave it was game one. That gave the Lakers a, a real fighting chance, and you know his threes have just been timely. Uh, he's just been playing, uh, above and for the moment. So he's gonna get paid this offseason, and deservedly so. I think he's really showed that he can be a key component on a a team with championship aspirations. Um, but as you said, yeah, this has not been consistent for, for everyone else on this team. I wanted to ask how you thought uh, Anthony Davis has played this series. because He did have 40 points in that game one, but hasn't really been able to replicate that in uh, games two or three. I think Anthony Davis has played the same way throughout this entire postseason. Very inconsistent. Yeah. Incredible highs and very bad lows. I mean, I think... Anthony Davis, what he needs is just a mentality shift. I think that's he has the physical tools. He has all of the ability. But I, I think what he needs to do is the same thing Kevin Durant needs to do in a lot of ways, which is crazy to say. But I think he needs to just say, give me the damn ball. I'm Anthony Davis and get out of my way. I think that's that simple. If most of the or a lot of these plays coming down in the fourth quarter, Anthony Davis doesn't touch the ball. Anthony Davis will have 20 points in the first half. And he'll have two shot attempts in the second half. That, that that's just mind boggling. Why is Anthony Davis the guy who just had twenty points, red hot, uh, you know, nine of ten from the field? Why does he get two shots and end the game? You know, ten of twelve from the field. That's he, that's stupid. Yeah, it doesn't really make too much sense to me. I think that yeah, part of it is on Anthony Davis for sure. Um, the but- Lakers also aren't running the place for him. Yeah, and just, the uh, the that. defense the defense of the Nuggets and the defense of every team has been directly targeted to stop Anthony Davis. But this was the first series that I watched where they didn't double Anthony Davis on every play. So that mm-hmm. Anthony Davis should be feasting. If that's the case, if they're not going to double him, they have no one who's his size who can guard him. Nikola Jokic can't defend him on every play. Sure, he's a bigger body, so he can't back him down. But, you know, Anthony Davis should be shooting over the top every single time. And if that means he is going to keep keep taking these finesse floaters that he's doing. I don't like the shot, but sure, it's going in. You sh- 
just had 40 points taking a bunch of finesse floaters and mid-range shots. And if you mm -hmm. can do that, do it every single time. But he doesn't do it consistently because he doesn't ask for the ball. I think in his head, he still sees it as LeBron's team when he needs to see it as his team. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's really that like that. I think that even what you were saying, like the Nuggets are playing him in single, single coverage a lot of the time. So you need to be attacking Jokic or whoever your defender is, especially if it is Jokic, to get him into foul trouble. You know, the Lakers really opened up a good chance of them taking game three when they got Jokic into foul trouble early. Unfortunately for them, they had to deal with a KCP onslaught uh, and just incredible shot making from him, which, you know, ended up in that loss. Mm -hmm. But AD just needs to be attacking. He just has to have aggressiveness as the number one priority in his mind. Um, it just needs to be, I need to have that killer instinct every single game. I mean, game one, I love what we saw from him straight out the gate, right? Goes for 40, um, really takes over that game um, on defense too, grabbing boards. He's physical. He's not settling for bad shots. But then games two and three, He's been not bad, I would say, but he's just not been great. He's been okay. He's been fine. And that's just not good enough when you're playing against an elite center in Nikola Jokic. Um, yeah. And I've other also... big bodies like Aaron Gordon, who I want to give a lot of credit to as well. We didn't mention him, but he's been great in this series. Yeah. That's another thing we didn't talk about. And I think another thing, another dimension we have to talk about is Anthony Davis, his defensive ability has kind of been shut off by the way this Nuggets team has been playing offense. They're super perimeter-based, very little attacking at the rim, and when they are attacking the rim, it's because Anthony Davis had to attack a closeout on the three-point line, and Aaron Gordon or Nikola Jokic is getting a very easy tip-in because Anthony Davis is, you know, he had to leave the painted area. So it's, it's really hard because schematically the Nuggets have just been so incredible, and Mike Malone is definitely the better and very clearly more experienced coach. Um, but I also put a lot of onus on to LeBron James to be the guy to figure that out and to be the floor general and to see what's happening and to do something about it. Because with 20 years of experience in the league, I'm sure he's seen things similar or knows how to counterattack to something like this. And we just haven't seen them be able to do that. Yeah. And at this point, it might be a little, a little bit um, too little too late. Mm -hmm. uh, I did want to pivot slightly to sort of talking about that 0-3 aspect if you don't have anything else really to add for this series. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, Nuggets are up 3-0. Lakers are up, or sorry, Lakers are not up. They're down 3-0. <laughs> the Celtics are down 0-3 to Miami. But which of these teams, the Lakers or Celtics, do you think has the better chance of coming back from the 03 deficit, which has never been done before in NBA history. Yeah. I think based on our conversations about these teams, it's fairly clear where we both stand on this, I assume. I think we both agreed that the Lakers have a minimally better chance than the Celtics at <laughs> at coming yeah. back from a deficit like this. Like I give the Celtics a zero percent, a fat donut. I think there is no world where the Celtics can win. They've entirely given up. Joe Mazzula even admitted he's lost the locker room. They got blown out by 30 in a game that if they had won, they could have been like, okay, we ha we've we got a shot. It wasn't over. It was 0-2. And they yeah. came out tonight like it was the last game of the series. Yeah, pretty much. And the Lakers, on the other hand, 
have fought in every single game. And LeBron James is never going to be the type of player to back down and say, you won the series. He's going to fight. This team's going to fight. And I expect, even if the Nuggets do win tomorrow, which I would hope because I don't want to be given any sort of hope as the Lakers possibly winning. <laughs> <laughs> but if the Nuggets do win, I expect it to be within five or six points. I don't expect the Lakers to go down without a fight. And I can't say the same about the Celtics. You're wrong, Hunter. Lakers in seven, baby. No, no, Lakers no, no. Seven. They're winning okay. tomorrow, taking it back to Denver. We're going to get an AD LeBron masterclass. You know that graphic that will show Kyrie and, and LeBron, 41 points each in <laughs> that game in the NBA Finals in 2016? We're going to have that AD and LeBron combining for 82 points again. What, what would you do if in game four, D'Angelo Russell came out and shot like, <laughs> what if D'Angelo Russell, he just shot like, uh, like 14 of 15 from three point. Like... <laughs> he just like comes out and just delivers a masterclass performance. And it's like, where was this the previous three games, man? We really needed that. Um, yeah. Can, can no. we like split up where the three pointers are being made, please? Um, no, but in all seriousness, this I give Lakers 1% chance, literally not even like maybe yeah. point, point 0.3. Like it's, I don't have give no hope for this game. I mean, look, if anybody would ever do it, it's LeBron James. I mean, he, nobody, people were saying, like, oh, it's unthinkable that, to come back 3 1 in the finals. And that happened. And LeBron was able to do that. Obviously, he was a different player back then. But if anyone could do it as LeBron, it's obviously a very minuscule chance. I would say, yeah, maybe like 0.5%. Um, but there is a chance. I'm, I'm honestly going to be rooting for the Lakers tomorrow. Uh, even though it is painful, but you know, let's make history, man. Maybe, maybe, maybe this is the year that this finally happens, and that streak. I don't of want. I don't want something. Hope. Games. I don't want hope. I'm not. I'm not listening to that because I'm fully aware the Nuggets are going to win Game Four, and I can go about my day and be sad, and then just watch the freaking NBA Finals. But in all seriousness, I really do think the Lakers will win Game Four. But most likely we'll lose game five. Like I think this series goes five games. And that's I just, fair. I think that the Lakers have one one win in them, at least. If not well, four. If not four. <laughs> Let's go. I think I think the Lakers have either one or zero in them. It's I think it might be over. If I think if the Nuggets come out and it's a ten point lead at halftime, the game's over. Yeah, probably. But I think that LeBron, especially just like as a guy who is very cognizant of like his career and his quote unquote legacy, like getting swept looks a lot worse than going out four one, you know. So there's always yeah. that, and I think the Nuggets they they haven't been a team to really let their foot off the gas and really settle and be complacent with being up in a series, um, but still, you know, they dropped that game to Minnesota when they were up three zero. So it is possible. Um, we will see. But uh, I think that's a good place to call the episode, man. For sure. Yeah. So this is a great episode. Um, um, I can't believe we're almost at the NBA Finals. Feels like just yesterday we were starting the series, uh, starting the season. But yeah, thank you all for coming on this ride with us uh, thus far, and still lots to cover with the NBA Finals and the NBA Draft, where the Spurs have the number yes. one pick. We we'll didn't talk- even talk about that. Wow. 
Do you want to talk about it briefly or save that for the offseason? We can save it for the offseason. All right. Keep them, keep them wanting a little more. So on that note, thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you all next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Peace.